heaven. It's a place of joy. It's a place of peace. It's a place of comfort. It's a place where you are in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus. But hell, we don't like to think about hell. In fact, there are preachers who admittedly do not believe in hell, who don't preach about hell, either because they maybe don't want God to look bad, or they don't want the people that they minister to to feel bad. And I get it. I understand that. But I don't think their motives are necessarily evil. I just think their theology stinks. And you know why? I'll tell you why. Because hell is a real place. And we know that because Jesus tells us about hell. And do you know this? The Bible talks more about hell than it does about heaven. And Jesus preached about it. He preached about hell. Hell is a forgotten doctrine. You don't believe me. Go down to Evans, go to the vineyard, or go to any Christian bookstore. And ask them where the commentary and the theology section is in the store. Now, after you walk past all the stuff that we call Jesus junk, pictures, jewelry, trinkets, you know, the buck 95 stuff you can pick up, and you walk past the Christian novels, and you go past the latest top 10 Christian books, and the vast selection of Bible translations, and the latest music CDs, and the book section that tells you how to build a church like I did it, eventually you get into a small section, usually in the back of the store, that has a few Bible commentaries and theology books. Uh, let's see here, I'm looking through that section, and uh, hmm, I don't see any section that has books about hell. And so he asked the store manager, hey, where are the books that talk about hell? And he says, we don't have any. It depresses people too much. Well, it can be depressing. But hell has always stirred negative passions. And that was true even in Jesus' time. And today, the subject is virtually taboo, even in the church. Because, you see, hell is an embarrassment to those who want Christianity to fit the modern thought of universal goodwill and broad-minded tolerance. It's an inconvenience to those who want the biblical message to sound cheerful to the unchurched people. It's an irritant to those who want a religion that makes people always want to feel good about themselves. And some pastors and some people in general openly wonder, how can a truly loving God send somebody to a place of eternal punishment? And it's, offense, it's an offense to those who care so little about righteousness and don't really fear God, but want to maintain some air of piety anyway. 
And as I say, many and maybe even most pastors will deny the existence of hell. But think about it. Think about this. If there is heaven, how can there not be hell? Now, the thing is this. God is holy. God is just. God demands righteousness, and God hates sin. And the Word of God tells us that often God will punish evildoers with everlasting punishment and everlasting fire. And Mark chapter 9 describes hell repeatedly as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And Revelation 14 verses 10 and 11 tells us that any person who receives the mark of the beast during the great tribulation shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Heaven. Eternal life. Hell. Everlasting punishment. And the Bible tells us that both exist. And the Bible tells us it's our choice of where we end up for eternity. So that brings us to our parable this morning that faith read. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Because that parable is the most vivid description of hell in the entire Bible. It is a horrific and deeply unsettling story if you really look at it closely. And it's right if you get troubled or if you get upset by that story. But you know, if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord, it's our duty to believe what it is that he taught. And that includes his many graphic warnings about eternal punishment. And so consider the two main characters in this parable. First, we have Lazarus. He's a poor man. He's a beggar. He has nothing at all. Dressed in rags, covered in sores. He has nothing but his faith in God. And he's given a name, Lazarus, because his name means he who the Lord has helped. And he's got sores so badly over his body's that the dogs came and licked his sores. I've got a dog that likes to lick me, but she doesn't lick my sores because I'm not covered with sores. That's a good thing. But when Lazarus died, he gets carried off to Abraham's bosom. That's the Jewish interpretation of heaven. And so the man who had absolutely nothing in his life lived in comfort. Eternity. And Lazarus' very name conveys the idea of divine favor. And Jesus graciously lifts him out of the disgrace and anonymity that is typical of the poor beggars of the day. And then, and then there's the rich man. He has everything. Fine food. Fine clothes, money, 
all the comforts of life. But he has no compassion for Lazarus, the beggar who's at the entrance to his home. He wouldn't even give Lazarus a crumb of bread off of his table. He wouldn't give Lazarus the time of day. And when the rich man died, he went to the place of eternal torment. He went to hell. And take notice too, the rich man is not given a name. And you know why? It's because he's no longer important. He had all that he could have on this earth, and now he's got nothing, and he's not important. He's been stripped of his riches, stripped of his honor, even down to his name. Now keep in mind, this is a parable. The details are not to necessarily be taken literally. Because we know from Scripture that people who are in hell cannot see into heaven. They do not observe, they do not recognize people in heaven, much less have conversations with them. Because in Matthew 8, Matthew 22, and Matthew 25, hell is described as outer darkness, a place of total isolation and alienation from heaven, the blackness of darkness forever, as recorded in 2 Peter and in the book of Jude. But Jesus tells us clearly what it's like to be in hell. He says it's an agonizing existence, full of regret, full of anguish, relentless, burning, torment, full of consciousness without hope forever and ever. And there's no possibility of escape. There's no rest. There's not one fingertips drop of relief that will ease the suffering and diminish the pain of the soul that's eternally tormented. It is a horrific, heartbreaking picture of absolute damnation. Wow! You feeling a little uncomfortable about now? Maybe some of you are squirming a little bit in your seats. And maybe you should be. Like someone told me when you preach, one of your tasks is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I would say it might be afflicting some of you who may be a little on the comfortable side. But Jesus preached so much about hell, he was being like a fire alarm. He was warning the people that there was going to be a place of torment, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of eternal punishment. And if Jesus hadn't warned us about that eternal hell, why should we bother to change our lives? I mean, face there are folks who are out there who figure, hmm, you know what? I like sinning. I like going out getting drunk sleeping around, living however I please. So what if I die? So what if I don't get to go to heaven? I really didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to play a heart. Which, by the way, they don't play hearts in heaven. I just want to live the way that I live. And if I die, I just don't need the grave. Why should I care? Why bother? Why bother believing in Jesus Christ? Why bother repenting? 
Why bother getting buried in the waters of baptism and rising up as a new creation? I only get to go once around once in life, so I'm going to grab all the gusto that I can get. But if there's a hell, if there's a hell, that changes the equation in a big hurry. All of a sudden now, life gets a little serious. And if there's no one around to warn us of that reality, we may wake up from that grave with a major surprise on our hands. But here's the comforting thought. We have Jesus. Jesus died for us, but Jesus died for our sins. Jesus is the way, and it's through the saving grace of Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his triumphant resurrection, that we can overcome this death sentence that is placed on each and every one of us. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The saving grace of God, through our faith in Jesus Christ, can save us from the eternal torment of hell and open the gates of heaven for each and every one of us who believes in Jesus. So, it's up to you. It's up to you to decide. You've heard about heaven. You've heard about all the glories of heaven. Eternal life in the presence of Jesus. And now you've heard about hell. Eternal punishment. And the message of hell is not a pleasant one. And it's not meant to be a pleasant one. But you know, without that part of the message, there's no urgency for people to change and turn to Jesus. Because you see, Jesus died to make it possible for everyone who believes in him and yield their life to him to avoid hell and spend eternally in his presence. Heaven or hell? It's up to you. You make the decision for yourself. Let us pray. Remember, Lord God, that we are your children, and you love the innocence of our hearts. Turn our hearts to you. Kindle in them the fire of your spirit, that through faith we may worship your Son, Jesus, who in his name we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn of the Red Hymnal is number 580. We're going to sing this through two times. And as we sing this, we will receive our harvest of hope offering.